0: I'm Susan Tyner if you're new here welcome I'm so glad you came I will warn you I feel like a little rusty I feel like Kara uh, and I well first of all Kara really came through because she's had a lot going on and our snack person got COVID and so we're just all a little rusty and I think it's the COVID rust I think at any point I'm like are my plans about to change? Are they about to change? And who's going to teach, or who's going to bring coffee? So God has provided coffee and a teacher so far. So, um, but your teacher is a little rusty. So, as I teach, I'm going to be using this handout. Just if you like to follow an outline, that's the outline we're going to do. We're going to be just kicking off Philippians today, and the back is a map and. I had to ask my husband, okay, remind me again about history. Like, I'm just love Old Testament history so much. And I started getting into Paul's letters. I'm like, where is that on the map now? Like, what's that? And he looked at me like, Did you not pay attention during, you know, World History Month at your school? But anyway, so I've circled Philippi. That is what we're t- we're talking about this church today. And the whole letter is written to the saints at Philippi. So Let me put my mic on and we'll get going. So, um, like Kara mentioned, our theme for the year for women's ministry is rescued for relationship. And so, last semester, we studied Exodus and how God went in, rescued this people of His from Egypt so that He could have a relationship with them. And we talked about that a lot last semester. So, now we're shifting, and if you um, got one of these timelines last semester, because we were kind of looking at it for like Egypts over here, you know that that period of history that we talked about last semester is at this this end, now we're at this end. And so sometimes I need a little bit of like context, and so just like God saved that people. And he had rules for them, and we talked about the Ten Commandments, we talked about the sacrificial system, we talked about him giving them directions for how to live as a people of God. Fast forward to about, you know, 20 years after Jesus died and was resurrected, and there's another people of God, it's an extension of that people of God, and there's And Paul is giving them practical advice of what it looks like to live as a people of God. So while we study Philippians, that's going to be a lot of what we're listening for is God did save you for a relationship with him. It's very personal. But he also saved you to be in a relationship with other believers in a church. And so he is writing to the church of Philippi about what this looks like. It's based on their relationship with Jesus, um, but it's also uh, not just, it's me and Jesus going down, okay? So um, so we're going to be looking at that, and so that's why I think it's really a fitting, uh, that's why one of the reasons we chose Philippians and Exodus, even though they look like they have nothing to do with each other, that's the connective tissue. So... One of the things that I just want to make sure, since I needed to revisit world history a little bit, um, and so this is just really that part of the world. We saw, you may be more familiar with, okay, Jesus was born in a stable, and he lived, and he died on a cross, and he was resurrected. And in Jerusalem, you see, when the Holy Spirit came, and there was Pentecost, and those little flames on their heads saying, the Spirit is here to help you. That was the helper Jesus said he would send. But then what is happening now in the world is Jews have gone to live in other parts of the world and this Jesus movement, this new kind of religion, it's different than Judaism. It's a belief in this man Jesus. You see Paul and others starting to spread the good news past the the original Jewish area. So that's what um, we're going to see in that the Philippian church is the first Eastern European group of people we see this happen with. And it's interesting, too, in history, um, the Roman, there's a thing called Pax Romana or Pax Romana. I don't know my Latin. Uh, but it's basically the peace of Rome and the timing of this. this couldn't Paul could not have made his missionary journeys you know, before this happened. And this basically, the Roman Empire has created roads, and there's generally, there, they've got a piece so that someone could actually go from town to town, like Paul does, and be a missionary. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, the printing press. Uh, when it happened, people could communicate. When the internet happened, I mean, these things in time that God uses. To spread the good news. So, this is written from uh, probably Rome. Um, Paul's writing it while he's in prison. Most people think that is in Rome. And it's probably about, I don't know, 20 years after he started this church. Um, so, let's meet the Philippians. Now that we've kind of got the big picture, let's meet this group of people that he is talking to. So, if you really want to know the story, I'm going to be really talking from Acts 16 this gives the story that Luke wrote and it's interesting because we studied Luke a couple of years ago Um, this gives the story of how this little church began and it was a little bit unusual Um, uh, Paul Silas Timothy maybe Luke came to town Um, if you look back at Acts 16 this was not their this was not their first choice God had actually stopped them from going to other places until he had a dream and it all began with this dream. This man in Macedonia was saying, please come help us. So they packed their bags and got to town. They went to Philippi. And instead of the usual situation when Paul would go, is he'd go to the synagogue. And to have a synagogue, you needed 10 Jewish men. Well, there wasn't one here. So we kind of assumed there weren't 10 Jewish men there. So he's kind of starting, not just from scratch, but... Mm-hmm. Before scratch and what he does is he goes to the water and meets a woman named Lydia Lydia is following God but has not heard about Jesus she and her friends and so Paul starts with Lydia's group probably of women and that is how they start a church and the second convert we see talked about in Acts 16 is a slave girl that is following them around and is demon possessed and is shouting here here they are they're talking about Jesus and Paul I just love how I don't know if he sinned or not but I like how it just says he finally got so so outdone he kicked the demon out of her and I just thought that is so interesting like he was trying not to do it and one commentator said that is actually would have been the worst thing to do for church planning you don't want to to cause a stir like that when you're trying to establish a church body. So like if we were starting Trinity, you wouldn't, you know, Brian Davis wouldn't have gone and flipped off the mayor. I mean, you just don't do that. That's just common sense. Well, Paul had it and he kicked the demon out of this girl. She started not doing what she'd been doing is making money for her owners. And they had him and his people just dragged to jail basically. So this again, not how you wanna start a church in Philippi. But then you have the earthquake, the shaking of the jail when they did not escape, stayed there, and their jailer, who was about to kill himself, because if your people got out of jail, you just took responsibility and killed yourself. um, Paul said, don't do it. And he and his household became believers. So from the get-go, it feels like whoosh, Philippi caught on fire and a very diverse group from a rich woman. She was a businesswoman, Lydia. She had the home. They probably started meeting at her house. She had means to a slave girl to a Philippian jailer. I mean, you could not get three more different people in a room. But, and this again strikes me as interesting about Paul, once the, the next morning the magistrates go, well, you can free him now that, now that they've whipped him and put him in jail, they'll let him go. And Paul pulls his Rose, <coughs> Roman citizen card out and says, uh, no, you weren't supposed to do that because I'm a Roman citizen. And so you better escort me out of here. So you can imagine the stir and the gossip about this missionary come to town that they're getting escorted out, and the, the, the head people of town are like eating crow that they've done this. So that is how this little church got started. <laughs> so Paul has an ongoing relationship with this church. They probably visited two or three times. Probably there were other letters. This is a sweet church. You can just hear the tone and how he writes Philippians and that it's a warmth. And it's almost like this is the easy child he's got. This, of all the church children he's got, these are just sweet. They're sweet. They, they're the only ones who have, like, sent him stuff. Like, when he says later, when other people didn't, you cared enough to send me gifts. Um, he's obviously writing this letter to thank them for a gift they've just sent. It's a sweet, sweet congregation. And now that Paul is suffering from jail they're worried about him. They're, they're worried, they're, they're upset. And so he's, he's writing back to not only thank them for the gift, but also to reframe his suffering for them and the good coming from it. And to be an example of suffering because they are starting to feel outside pressure um, as well as some internal conflict. So he wants to use himself as an example to them. So let's look at the, we're just going to talk about the opening two verses of Philippians chapter one. So you can turn there and um, I'll just read it out loud. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, sometimes it's hard to teach on such a short passage, but this little, you know, couplet, I guess, is packed. And so, I don't know if you remember this. I was an English major, and I don't know, this actually happened in high school or probably sixth grade. I don't know if you remember, because we don't write letters much anymore, but you learned how to write a letter. You had it diagrammed on the page. I remember it would be like salutations, you know, the return address, all the things you're supposed to do to write a letter. And so we see a typical letter. And so behind the grammar, though, behind the words used, we have a lot of theology or just good old biblical truths. So first of all, the sender is Paul and Timothy. Probably Timothy is writing it. Paul is telling them what to write. They call themselves slaves of Jesus Christ or bondservants of Jesus Christ. And this is, this is important because they're not saying, hey, here we're missionaries or here we are. In and, and other places, he introduces himself differently. But here he calls himself basically a slave of Jesus, which means he feels very, very tightly connected with Jesus. He is bought by Jesus. Everything he does is ruled by Jesus. And so this is the relationship that Paul has, that he was rescued on the road to Damascus in a halt on the path of he is now serving Jesus. That relationship is going to drive everything he tells them. And really the reason they need to accept everything he tells them is because they also are slaves of Jesus. So this relationship with Christ transforms everything about his view of life, what he does, even his travel plans. When God told him not to go, he didn't go. But we also have the receivers of the letter, the, um, the, the Philippians, and he calls them saints in Christ Jesus. Um, in 1 Corinthians 1-2, Paul also talks about saints, and he says, To those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our lord jesus christ both their lord and ours this does not mean they were perfect like she's such a saint which means she doesn't cuss she doesn't lose her temper with her kids when they you know mess up her kitchen she she doesn't pitch a fit with a coworker just you know shredded the wrong document or no, it means you are called. You are part of this people of God, and you are joined to this people of God. In Deuteronomy seven, what we looked at last week—I mean, last semester—the Israelites were not chosen because they were awesome. As a Matter of fact, it says in Deuteronomy, if you remember when we studied that, just I, ch- I didn't choose you because you were big. I just loved you. I just chose to love you, and that's what a saying is. She's just chosen to be loved, not because she's special, not because she did something great, not because she will do something great, but because God has saved her. God has made her his slave. God owns her, and God makes her part of this family. So this story also, as a saint, will reflect Jesus' story because you're so tied to him. Um, Paul uses this phrase in Christ Jesus when he talks about his saints and that their story will reflect his. He uses it like 10 times in Philippians. Jesus left his father's side to take on flesh. He made a huge sacrifice. Then he suffered while he was here, even to the point of a cross, but it ended in victory. Our persecution, our lives here, our suffering will have the same trajectory because He reigns and will return. We will benefit and reap the benefits of this relationship. But also as saints, he mentions with the, um, basically the elders and deacons there. So there's this nod to, I'm writing this letter to the church, to everybody, with these, these people who are leading you. And I think that's really interesting that it's not the kind of leadership that they were used to. Um, Philippi had a lot of, like, like I think they were like, I don't know what you would call them in the Roman army, but basically retired army people who lived there. They were probably very, it was probably kind of a political place. Um, those leaders, you'd strength and dominance. Their leaders, their overseers, their deacons were humble. And we'll see that type of leadership of, they're part of the church they're not lording themselves over the church so the third thing I want to make sure we've seen the sender we've seen the people receiving the letter he gives them grace and peace from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ so we have of Jesus Christ in Christ Jesus and now from the Father and Son Jesus grace God gives us all they need and we need to be saved he is going to finish what he started in that little Philippian church and, and those that Lydia and her group of women. And it's not just um, salvation, but he is going to give them peace with God, but also internally because they're, because of this relationship and peace with one another in this church. So, that's a lot to write in just two verses, right? And so, all of that is kind of the launching for what's coming in the body of the letter, which is what, he's, what we're going to study all semester. This is a very practical letter with little Bible truth nuggets all throughout it. Um, one of the things he talks about is fellowship, but a better word, one of the writers I studied said, is partnership. It's not just fellowship like, hey, coffee at 845 in the Connell basement. You know, we're going to have fellowship. That is great. I love that kind of fellowship. But this is more the word partnership and how he wants this church to view not only him, because they're partners with Paul and that they're given time and money and worry and concern, but also they're partnering with one another. This is a particular emphasis of this letter um, versus maybe other letters. Um, all his letters were really written to guide and support new churches, but this one particularly emphasizes that sharing and partnership. But also he gives us patterns for living. And if you think about it, if this church were like 20 years old, you think they had a lot of mission statements developed by now and organization tips and how to be, you know, a church in the first century. Um, you know, this these are brand new churches, Paul's. These are toddlers. These are infants. They they have not, you know, they can't look back at their notes from the meetings, you know, a long time ago. I mean, they're they're learning how to be the people of God in the New Testament time. Um, and that's a lot. That's a lot to have to learn. So we're gonna see patterns of living in a church context. What is just like we looked at the the Old Testament people of God, how God said, this is how I want you to love me and love others. The two great commandments, the sum of the law, the sum of the Ten Commandments. Now we're taking that and expanding it to New Testament living. Same law, but what's that look like in this context? So there'll be three big things we look at. Unity, attack from the outside, and the jesus basically is the center for all the arguments he's their example because of his humility and because of his suffering and because of his victory so lastly what does Philippi have to do with fort worth <laughs> really i mean this is great for them and um, i'm so glad i don't live where people are getting persecuted like they were and getting thrown in jail so how does the, this impact us here and today basically what's this have to do with your work schedule, with your carpool line, with your marriage, with Trinity Press, or wherever you go to church. Well, first of all, I want you to think about the term bond servant or slave to Jesus as a personal thing. There are lots of titles and identities we associate ourselves with, but I doubt that one comes to mind a lot. We don't like the idea of servant We don't like the idea of slave. We don't like the idea of, you mean I can't go where I planned on the map? You mean I have to stop and wait on you to tell me where to go? Are you seeing yourself as holy and set aside for God's purposes, not your personal purposes? Um, Do you identify even as connected with the people of God or are you very independent? Americans are so independent. It's in our DNA. And this is going to push on that and push back against that. Um, do you see yourself bought by God? And does, that, does there is there a response that comes of loyalty and humility to Jesus? And what's this relationship of slave to Jesus look like? Well, if it's like Paul, it's a very tight relationship. Um, it's very personal, but it, that personal part of it does mean submitting to God's timing and plans for us. And I mean, honestly, as a woman, <laughs> that's really hard. I don't, I don't, I feel like I'm having trouble submitting to if I get COVID and can't go where I'm supposed to go next weekend. <laughs> I mean, that's little. Mm-hmm. We're talking about everything from little to big. I plans on having babies. And God didn't give me babies. I planned on getting married. God didn't give me a marriage. I planned on being healthy. I planned on uh, being, having, not to worry about bills. I planned, I mean, all these plans. I planned on my child to get into this this college. I mean, you name it. I, we are so planning, these women of us. <laughs> you know, um, there's some proverb that says, if you want to see God, hear God laugh, tell him your plans. I mean... It's just, uh, but yet, I do it. I do it. I I mean, I literally, before I leave my office, I write down what I'm going to do when I get back to my office. Well, one, because I can't think sometimes I need a jump start, but it's just plans. You know, that's just how we're built. Do your dreams reflect his rule of your life? Do you daydream about what God has for you and those purposes and that way of spending your money and your calendar? how you prioritize, is it lined up with his priorities, and are you loyal to him over other gods and cultural norms? Because that's what the Philippians had to do. They were living in a place where there are lots of gods and they were really different. Um, In the email you got, there's a little blurb, a little video that is so great, it's so easy to watch, and it just gives you a context of, of what was happening in Philippi to them and why they were so different. And um, it really reminded me a lot in a way of Fort Worth. (laughs) You know, just, oh, there are lots of things. We may not have a a pantheon of gods that we can pass by and look, but I'll tell you, growing up in in the SEC, football was a god, and they have a pantheon. (laughs) And uh, they have worship services every Saturday. And I saw a lot of people be disciples of sports. We have disciples of beautiful homes, and we subscribe to those magazines that make us discontent. And we have disciples of exercise and health and the world's view of beauty. We, we, we have so many gods. I'll tell you the God I've been worshiping at in the last 24 hours, is a clean house because I have company coming in. And I, my poor husband had to, to worship the God I was worshiping when I was like, you had to hang this picture. You had to help me do this bed, you know? I mean, and I, I remember looking up, and this seldom happens. And it's only because my five kids are not in my house anymore. But when everything's clean at the same moment, okay, you can hold that pose for a few minutes. And I remember, thankfully I've learned over my years of, of hitting my head against this false God, is that will not satisfy me because it's so fleeting. Um, and so things like that, what is it that you're reaching for that you go, if only this, if only my child had friends, if only my marriage were fixed, if only only I felt joy and I didn't struggle with depression whatever it is for you those are usually telltale signs that there is a there's a competitor for your worship and your loyalty so that's our relationship with Jesus that we want to think about but also and this is where I really start meddling what's your relationship with church and in a room this large of women I can tell you there is a uh, there are some bad experiences with church whether you have been taught things that were not biblical, where you were, um, had, as we see later, the Philippian church had some girl drama. So, no shocker if you've had girl drama in your church. Um, and I say girl not to be offensive, because I've heard that as an offensive term, but because we're still acting like girls when we do that. We're still in high school to, in my mind, no matter how old you are. But um, just, th- you know, that I know in saying this, That there are some bad experiences, but and I love when Andy would preach this past Sunday on the church because he admit he he said that, but we also see Jesus die for the church that we are the gift to Jesus we're His inheritance so we've got to dig back into this relationship isn't going away, and so do we see church, and I'm talking about your local church and beyond but i'm going to focus on local as a partnership as more than i'm just seeing it as a group of people to make me feel like i'm in a family it is that but it's more and there we see this triad relationship of paul the philippians and christ so how do you see me christ and my fellow members of trinity or wherever you go to church um Christians are giving up on church, and I understand why, but Jesus says don't. Um, Paul addresses, in this letter, not just those leaders. He addresses all the members of the church. So, in a way, a healthy church begins with you, with you taking these words that Paul writes about humility, about how you see suffering, about looking at the common goal and working together, like he tells the two women later that we'll read about. Um, I, I, am I acting like a partner at Trinity? And is there, is it just there to make me feel good or to be what I think it should be, or my dreams even, even if, even if it's not, sorry I got to hear. even if it's not like I'm not being selfish, are my goals God's goals? And he might be putting a hand up and go, no, not now. Just like he did to Paul when he wanted to go to Asia. So am I humble? Am I being a team player? Am I being loyal? Am I giving my time and money to this partnership? Or am I just dropping in on Sundays to make myself feel better? Or to just make sure my role, I'm still in the role? Or do you really go, how is my life gonna be a partnership with this people? And are my life patterns reflecting this partnership? My, my, my schedule, my money, my, my, my heart that I care, that I, my heart breaks when I hear of another woman having a miscarriage, so I want to text her, I want to take her a meal, or anything like that that, that does cost you, it costs you to care. And so when all of this is, I'm plopping this in your lap on a Thursday morning, which you're like, sister, I'm just glad I got here. Now you're telling me I do all this stuff? I'm not coming anymore. This is when I want to take you back to the beginning of God rescued you. That means you can't do this without him. He rescued you for this kind of radical relationship. And that just like our culture pushes against this kind of love and partnership, the Philippians experienced that kind of pushback too. And that Philippi's culture, Fort Worth's culture is not like Jesus' kingdom culture. His culture is upside down. We have something stronger than the fear of being controlled by another love, by the, the weariness of pushing against cultural norms, and sometimes just the desire to be in charge and comfortable. We have something stronger than that, and that comes from Jesus' spirit in us. So let's look at that reality of that primary relationship and lean into that rescue. Because he didn't just rescue you to get out of Egypt and out of slavery. He rescued you to live well and to live as a person of God and as saints with our other saints. Let's pray. Lord, you see this high call that you sent us through Paul, um, and we are overwhelmed by this kind of um, ask, but we're also, also thrilled by it in that you would choose us, you would put us in this place, you would, you would call us and say, I want you to be my slave, I want you to do my stuff here in Fort Worth. And so, Father, keep us flexible, keep us limber, keep our hearts beating for you, help us to not push these kind of calls aside, but to really mull them over, talk to our friends about them, talk to our spouses, our children, or even coworkers about it, of how can this get needed into our hearts? And Father, when we are overwhelmed by it, because I am, remind us, of your spirit beating in us and enlarge our hearts that we can run these commands. I pray that you would comfort those women who have been hurt by church before and that may even be lonely among us um, in Trinity or in this room. I pray that you would woo them and that we would be kind and that we would be brave to trust and to be part of this community. In Christ's name, amen.